Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.58 a.m. November the 30th. God, wow, haven't been here for a few days. Uh, It's been like five days since I cut one of these. (laughs) Uh, God, 5.58 a.m. I forgot what it was like being up this early. You know, Thanksgiving break and all. Uh, Just kind of hung out with, you know, hung out with my family and all. Been sleeping in. And wow, boy, that alarm went off this morning at five, and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> ain't nobody up this hour but thieves and oilmen and podcasters, apparently. Oh, God. So what do we got on the slate today? Well, I'm going to be interviewing Constantine or Constantin Nick uh, out at Donner Labs um, or Donner Lab, and we're going to talk about uh, Bitcoin bounty hunt, you know, his you know, uh, con, he asked me to call him con. So it's K O N, uh, con, you know, uh, where he started how he got into video games, how, certainly how he got into making video games. And then clearly how he got into Bitcoin and lightning because, uh, uh, Bitcoin bounty hunt is definitely a lightning enabled game. You know, the state of the game and the platforms that are used to build the game and what kind of, you know, what kind of shenanigans, these guys are up into, you know, with Mint Gox. I mean, most of the people that I've been interviewing uh, lately have been in the gaming field, specifically with Bitcoin and gaming. Because uh, I don't know how it hasn't happened yet, but Bitcoin and gaming is like a match made in heaven, especially with things like Lightning, Liquid, um, th- these types of things. And it's catching on, but it's not catching on in, you know, it's it's just not catching on in AAA. So I think what's going to end up happening is that you're going to have a whole new fleet of game studios that are going to be building games that are based on lightning because they don't have the preconceptions that major gaming studios have today. And the preconceptions they have are the ones that they've built for themselves, which is okay. I mean, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not bitching and moaning about it. It is what it is. EA's, you know, EA games take for instance, that company has been around since the 80s. I don't know if you know this, but it started with like a team of like, I don't know, I think it was a team of 15 people and seven of those, if not 10 of those, were the actual programmers. And then everybody else was just, you know, sort of like logistics, answering phones and whatnot like that, you know, doing paperwork. And one of the ones that came, one of the people that came out of that was Bill Budge. Uh, Bill Budge wrote uh, one of the, first games it was a pinball a pinball simulator and i had that thing on amazingly enough an atari 400 and it was one of the sweetest games you could build your own pinball machines and it would simulate collisions from the you know the ball hitting bumpers and it the the action was good the colors were great everything was great that thing was done in like 85 or 80 
yeah, no, man, like 84, 85. That's how long Electronic Arts has been around. And since that time, you know, here we are, uh, what, 35 years later. <laughs> and uh, EA is like probably the largest game company on the face of the planet. They have many games. <clears throat> they represent several different franchises and many, many of which have internal economies that use a token. You can put real money into it and buy stuff with it. And there's marketplaces. They, these, all these people, these, these top 10, let's, let's take it the top 10 AAA gaming companies. They don't have any incentive whatsoever to use Bitcoin, right? They have, they're making money hand over fist on their own systems, right? They're not going to turn over to Bitcoin. They're not going to implement lightning. What it's going to take is people like Constantin Nick out of Donner Lab and all the other people that I've been interviewing lately to build new games <clears throat> with a new economy in mind, an economy that not only is internal, but has connections to the external world. And there's all manner of neat stuff that can occur. And we're going to be talking about some of those with Constantin here in a minute. But first, first, let's get into a let's get into just a bit of uh, uh, news for the thirtieth of November. <clears throat> Chinese police have seized crypto assets worth four point two billion dollars from the Plus Token Ponzi. <laughs> Marie Juliet is writing for Coin Telegraph. Uh, says Plus Token controversy, which has led to the arrest of. Wow, 109 individuals so far has also reportedly resulted in a titanic seizure of crypto assets by Chinese authorities worth $4.2 billion at today's prices. That's billion with a B, people. According to court filings released publicly on November the 19th and posted by the block, authorities have seized a staggering 194,000 Bitcoin, 833,000 Ether, <clears throat> 1.4 million Litecoin, 27.6 million EOS, 74,000 Dash, 487 million XRP, and my favorite, 6 billion Dogecoin. That's right. The Chinese now have a bag of Doge, 79,000 Bcash, and 213,000 Tether or USDT from seven individuals. I'm going to pause there for effect. Seven individuals convicted in the case. Seven individuals held $4.2 billion worth of crypto assets. Wow. According to the ruling from the Yang Chang Intermediate People's Court, gains from the seized crypto assets will be forfeited to the national treasury. How? I mean, if you're doing this right, the question becomes how, but whatever. The precise details of how the assets will be dealt with and processed in accordance with national laws have not been fully spelled out. The Plus Token scheme, which first released its white paper back in February 2018, had presented itself as a South Korean crypto exchange and wallet provider that could provide users with interest-bearing accounts capable of generating between, get this, 8 and 16% returns monthly, with a minimum deposit of $500 in crypto assets. <laughs> Yeah, that even the even the Ponzi scheme maker himself was it Charles Ponzi or whatever his first name Ponzi was. Did, even that dude wasn't promising those kinds of returns. Okay, and this is like at least four x what he was promising. So, wow, four 
$4.2 billion of crypto. Again, <clears throat> if you were doing it right, <clears throat> there was no way that you would ever, uh, that you would have to forfeit. Okay. Yes, they can beat you with a wrench. And if, and, and clearly if they're going to beat you with a wrench and you know where the stuff is. Yeah. I, I, that part I get, I'm just saying, you know, there, there's more difficult ways uh, to have to come for uh, authorities to quote unquote seize your Bitcoin. Do it right, people. Make it at least make it difficult. Yes, I get it. If they come at you with a wrench, I understand. But don't put yourself in a position where they can come at you with a wrench. That's all I'm saying. Now, on to good news. <clears throat> uh, Pablo. Pa Pablo F7Z, that is at Pablo F7Z, and I'm sure there's a lead there that I'm not catching. Uh, yesterday put up a <clears throat> an interesting tweet, said, I just told my mom I can send her Bitcoin from EU to Argentina. No risk of confiscation midway, as happens with wires. After a lifetime of working in banks, her mind was blown away. This afternoon, I'm going to help her set up a blue wallet to try out the Lightning Network. Well, okay, so like almost immediately, a guy named Mads Olson or at ZEven74 sends this. Send me an LN invoice from her on $20. I want to show her the Bitcoin community and that she can also receive money lightning quick from the other side of the globe uh, in Europe. Four hours later, uh, three hours later, Pablo sends a lightning invoice. Almost immediately, Mads writes back and says, please say hello to your mother from Norway. Transaction took 0.2 seconds and cost one Satoshi from Norway to the other side of the globe. And then he gives a, a screenshot of the payment details. And the amount, again, was <clears throat> 0.0011 Bitcoin. It's about 20 bucks. It was via the Lightning Network and it cost, let's see, yeah, <laughs> less than a Satoshi. That's, you know, honestly, that's that's amazing. So Pablo, grateful, said that she got it and that she's super excited. She asked me to translate a note for you. So we'll do that as soon as she sends it over. So <laughs> that was in, that was an interesting exchange when I saw it. Well, Pablo's got an update. <clears throat> he says... And this was uh, very early. This actually, well, not very early this morning for me. It was about mm, 40 minutes ago. It says, I tweeted yesterday about helping my 70-year-old mom in Argentina get a Bitcoin wallet. Responses so far? XRP trolls shilling their bags. Check. People complaining she's not using her own node over Tor. Empathy for Peter McCormack here. Check. People fighting over which wallet is best. Check. On the other hand, she got a $20 donation from Norway, which absolutely made her day. All in all, a typical day on Bitcoin Twitter. <laughs> I think that that's amazing. I, I mean, 70-year-old living in Argentina, and her, you know, her son sets her up with a Bitcoin wallet, and the very next thing you know, a guy's saying, dude, send me a lightning invoice for 20 bucks, and let's really blow her mind. This is a woman who worked in a bank all her life. And she's like, I've never seen anything like this. I had, again, you know, it's amazing. I had uh, a Twitter exchange with somebody with, uh, I, I don't know if it could have been an old man, but it looked like a young woman 
and from her, from the understanding she displayed of what's going on with the confusion behind why people are so pissed off that other people want to open their businesses during this whole COVID thing. Well, you know, I sent her a, a tweet said, "Look, you know, the, it's it, this is the surface. These are the surface problems. Uh, this is all due to fiat fiat money." And basically, she wrote back basically saying that she's like, what are you talking about? Are you talking about inflation of the money? Cause I'd said, fix the money, fix the world. So I sent her, you know, links to, uh, the confiscation of gold by the, was it Theodore Roosevelt? Uh, and then, um, uh, no, the, the, the implementation of the federal reserve under the federal reserve act in 1913 was the first link that I sent her. Second one was the confiscation of gold. And then the third one was when Nixon took us off the gold standard, basically breaking Bretton Woods. And the fourth one was WTF happened in 1971. And I said, look, you know, you're going to have to go all the way back to the inception of the Federal Reserve. And yes, you, you could go back much farther. But as if you're just going to remain in American history, this whole thing really broke in 1913. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. We saw the author the authoritative and totalitarian bullshit occur way before we were even born. And of course, when we all went to school here in the United States, we were taught, oh, land of the free, home of the brave. No, that's not actually it. It used to be. <laughs> we used to be free. We used to be brave. But all of us kind of been born into slavery. I'm just saying, man. <clears throat> so she wrote back and she she was really thankful. Um, she said, I really appreciate the information. And it dawned on me that, um, you know, I think a lot of us can be a little too harsh because we just expect people to understand what it is that we've come to know over the last X many years that you've been in Bitcoin. It doesn't matter. You could have been in Bitcoin since like last month. And if you've fallen down the rabbit hole hard enough, you've already hit the Federal Reserve, the confiscation of gold under Executive Order 6102, the, the breaking of Bretton Woods by Nixon in 1971. You've, you, you're already exposed. You may not fully understand it. I don't think any of us really understand the implications, just how bad that is. But you could be in Bitcoin for a month. You could be in Bitcoin since 2000, since you read the white paper before the very first Bitcoin was mined in January of 2009. It doesn't matter. We have this understanding of what, you know, at different stages of, you know, or in, in, I guess at different levels of what actually happened and it's not good. And there's a, there's very few of us and there's so many people out there that are still laboring under the problems that they see, which are top level problems. And they're caused by all these underlying things that happened decades before they were born in, you know, in almost in like, let's see, it'll be, yeah, there will be like, very a very few handful of us a very few handful of us that came in where the federal reserve act was not over a hundred years ago okay a lot of people that are coming into the space dude they weren't even i mean this is like well past a hundred years ago it's ancient freaking history to them they don't know how what's the best way to red pill somebody without just getting in their ear and saying well you're just a stupid little fiat you know, pleb or whatever. That's not the way to do this. And I am, I am guilty of this as anybody else, but I got to change my attitude because this one exchange, <clears throat> I accused her of not understanding what was going on. And she was actually the more gracious 
of the two of us in that exchange, and she was actually probably younger, I'm, I, I'm assuming. And yet somehow or another, we ended up with a gracious exchange. It turned into that, where she was able to get at least the main three tenets of what the hell is causing all these problems and have been causing all these problems for, well, for decades. So the next time, <clears throat> give it a shot. Give them the information and say, you know what, just do yourself a favor. At least read, you know, three Wikipedia articles. I know Wikipedia is not the best place to go, but hey, you got to start somewhere. So, um, and one of the problems that I've always had with money is the fact that I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that money was more of a part of our lives than it is now insofar that it told us stories. <clears throat> not only does money communicate value, Money can communicate much more than just simple value. Money can communicate the stories of a family's life. Um, and I, I suspect that it did. Way back, way back in the day, like hundreds, thousands, maybe even a, you know 10,000 years ago, that money was much more than just something that we exchanged for you know, buying you know, goods and services or, you know, wine or whatnot. Let me, let me illustrate what I mean. When did money stop telling stories? Picture an old woman, her daughter, her granddaughter, and her great-granddaughter standing in front of a huge moss-covered limestone disc with a hole in the center, all four of them with their hands on that stone. Your great-grandfather used this stone as my mother's dowry when she married your grandfather, the old woman said to her daughter. Then your father and I traded part of the small farm we built to buy it back years later. We did this for you, daughter. Your father and I used this stone to expand the family's stock of palms, taro, and breadfruit plantings, and the land to cultivate them on, the daughter told her own daughter. After many years, we traded part of the well-expanded farm to buy back this stone and for access to the ocean so we could begin fishing to add to our wealth. We did this for you, daughter. Your father and I sold this stone for the materials we needed to build some fishing vessels so that we could expand our family's fishing business out into the open ocean, the granddaughter told her daughter. Before you were born, we had built ten fishing vessels, expanded the family farm, built an estate for you and your descendants to nurture into the future, and had enough wealth to buy this stone back. It will be passed down to you, daughter. The youngest of the women looked up at her mother, looked back at the stone, giggled, and ran off chasing a lizard. The old woman looked at her future and told them that this stone has always been and will always be an integral part of their family's life. It's as integral to them as their identity, as the food that they eat, the people that they love, the businesses they build, and the trades they engage in. When was it we stopped allowing money to be part of our histories? When was the last time humans made transactions they remembered that were important to them? When did money stop telling stories? I can find the famous pizza transaction made by Laszlo and look it up. We tell stories about it. Hell, we have Bitcoin Pizza Day. It's a celebration. There are many of these transactions in the Bitcoin time chain, and they tell fascinating stories as well. Money has begun to tell us stories again, and we should probably start listening. And indeed, I do listen. One of the reasons I do listen is uh, I get things like Twitter bots that tell me how much Laszlo's pizza would be worth right now at the current price of Bitcoin. This is a story, y'all. 
this isn't just you know Laszlo trading ten thousand Bitcoin for a freaking Papa John's pizza back in the in the day, right? It it is it's now a story. It's it's a thing. It's a transaction, but it's a story. When was the last time you made a transaction that you tell stories about? Think about that. Let's talk to Constantine, Nick. Con, welcome to Bitcoin and how you doing today, man? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm great. Happy to be here. Awesome. Okay, well, let's let, you know, kind of like giving people some context of the people that, you know, that I interview. And one of the best ways to do that is to kind of go back to when you were a kid in school, you know, like maybe even, you know, your uh, equivalent of, you know, high school, you know, 15, 16, 17, you know, when you're sitting there, what in school, what, what are you thinking about, you know, when you're a kid, what, what do you want to do with your life? Uh, when I was 15 or 16, I wasn't thinking about much really mostly was probably video games and some girls maybe, but I wasn't really thinking about my future (laughs) whatsoever. And I would have never imagined that I would, uh, at this point, I mean, there was no Bitcoin, so I would never have imagined to, to be in Bitcoin, uh, in, in this time of my life. So you mentioned that you were playing video games back then. When did you when did you first get snagged by, you know, video games in general? Uh, my brother was into video games as well, so I got it probably from him. And I always watched when he was playing like uh World of Warcraft for example. I was pretty stoked to play that as well, but never really made it far and then I think the first game I really played through was uh Fable if you know that. It was this action RPG from, I think, 2004 or something. And it was really great. And since then, I was hooked on games. And I played mostly, yeah, in, in, in the high school, I played uh, World of Warcraft. And, yeah, Counter-Strike was pretty big in my youth. So I really yeah. like that. Yeah, well, Counter-Strike still a pretty big pretty big franchise title, you know, it's, it's <laughs> lots of people yeah. still playing that. So do you have like, of like a favorite game, video game of all time, something that mm-hmm. really, that you'll just never forget playing? Uh, Diablo two, probably it's Diablo the greatest, II. the greatest action RPG ever made with the greatest itemization and, and skill system. I Did you it. play the original Diablo before the, the first uh, one? No, I didn't. Um, yeah, there was, oh, and, oh, and, uh, I, I could Diablo two, but also super smash brothers. I, I should not miss that. It's my favorite right. party game, favorite, <laughs> uh, just favorite fun game with a pretty high skill cap. I love that. So did, uh, in Diablo two for those, for, for the listeners who, who may not, you know, know they, they may have heard about Diablo two, but you know, the entire Diablo franchise, even from the first iteration was the, you know, the auto generation of, you know, levels and dungeons and whatnot like that. So that it was sort of never the same game twice. The, um, did, did that affect, or did you, have you kind of thought about auto generation of levels in, uh, the game that we're going to be talking about Bitcoin bounty? Hunt? Uh, the initial version had it in it oh, basically really? but right now we're we, we we moved away from it because uh it's it's hard to to do that in first person shooters 
or in online yeah. first person shooters. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could just, you know, basically auto generate a whole bunch of accidental black holes that people could get stuck into. And that's not good. <laughs> yeah. And if you look at it this way, I mean, map design is one of the most important things in shooters, I would say. It's, yep. it's what, I don't know, what made Counter-Strike probably to have these cool maps. And I think it's hard to recreate in an auto-generated way. Yeah, I, I kind of figured that as well. So, well, so you're heading up Donner Lab. This is this is your baby, right? Yeah, uh, me yeah. and my brothers actually. So he helped me start it. Okay. So w w when did this thing take off? When when did when did you actually say we're doing Donner Lab? Uh, I think it was in it was in early 2018. So late or in the December of 2017, I think uh, I had my first contact with Lightning, with Sea uh, Lightning. Uh, I was building a small hardware project uh, for the Chaos Communication Congress. And uh -huh. so I was into Bitcoin before. Uh, I never really programmed for it. It never, it never clicked for me. But then with Lightning, it was okay. This is so interactive. This is so cool. And then uh, I did this first C Lightning demo, and then I think around then the first Lightning Hack Day by Fulmo was announced. Mm -hmm. For it was sometime in spring, and then I said, "Okay, I want to work on on Lightning. I want to do Lightning and video games." And um, this is where the idea of Donner Lab started. So Donner means thunder in German, so this ah. is why we chose that name. And yeah, the first thing we did was a uh, plugin for the Unity game engine. So it was a simple plugin which connected to an LND node. And I, then I showed it off at the Lightning Hack Day where I just had some simple demos where you could, uh, you had a wallet made in Unity, but also a demo where you could uh, pay an invoice and change the weather of this scene. So this was one of the first experiments with like these interactive uh, payments. So where, did you have a background in, in programming out of school and college? Yes, I studied computer science. I never finished because I got a cool job at a healthcare company and I did a lot of uh, virtual reality uh, demos in Unity and they basically uh, hired me to do a like research project for, um, for depression. So I worked on this in Unity with 3Ds, and this was my first experience with Unity then. And this led me to this, okay, I want to do stuff for Unity and, and games, basically, and then co connected that with Lightning. Have you ever uh, developed any kind of games outside of the Unity framework, like uh, Unreal or any of the other engines? Uh, yeah, I, I did some dabbling in, in, in Unreal in college. <laughs> a small multiplayer small multiplayer game where you would shoot balls like uh -huh. it was like a football first person football game uh, <laughs> uh, uh, european football right yeah no i yeah yeah i've been uh that that's a neat thing about being in the bitcoin space is that you're connect i mean i talk to people from so many different countries now and that has that would never have been the case had it not been for falling into, you know, falling into Bitcoin, because it attracts so many people from so many different corners of the earth that you're going to end up meeting people from, you know, the Netherlands, you know, Denmark, you know, all over Europe, you know, South America, Central America. And it's the most amazing thing. It's one of the things that 
you know, I, I, I obviously I love Bitcoin, but the fact that the, uh, uh, what it's brought to be able to talk to all these other people from different countries has been absolutely amazing. You know, it's yeah, just, it's true. a wonder, wonderful thing. So, um, so you mentioned that you had run into Bitcoin and kind of weren't interested until lightning network. And that was where real, where the light went off. It, did I hear that right? Yes. Exactly. Wow. So, when, so like, so Bitcoin runs over you. When did you, when did you first hear about it? Uh, again, it, it was all my, my brother. He told me about it in, it was probably 2012, 2013 uh -huh. when I first heard about it and, and first used it, but I never really programmed for it and never thought about it until I used see lightning and then LND for the first wow. time. Okay. Well, that's, that's actually the first time that that's the first time that I've heard that one. Generally speaking, people get like, you know, they all get, you know, we all got giddy the first time that we ever did a, you know, our first Bitcoin transaction and the light goes on and then you're, you know, you're sucked down the rabbit hole and it's, it's just like, you know, light speed going down there. And then, you know, so, okay. So you're, you know, a couple of years go by, you know, maybe three or four, depending on when you get in and kind of getting, you know, to the point where it's like, eh, and then lightning comes up and then you're, you know, we got just as excited about lightning as we did when it came to, uh, you know, to finding Bitcoin. So this is the first time I've talked to somebody who didn't really, you know, the light didn't go off until the second iteration or the, the second layer, which is an interesting, that's an interesting story, honestly. So Bitcoin bounty hunt. Now this is, this is the one game that you guys at Donner Labs are, are working on, right? Yes, we created a game before. It was like a 2D uh, game that was streamed over Twitch, but uh, it was way too complicated probably uh, from, from the gameplay design. So we scrapped that because, yeah, we, we this was after the Lightning Conference in Berlin last year. So we created this 2D game, which is pretty cool, which was pretty cool, but it never really, it never really clicked for... I think for the people who played it. So we just said, okay, let's try to, let's do like a hackathon week or two weeks and, and try if we find something cool. And then, I don't know, I, I found this uh, online game framework for Unity, which had a pretty cool first person shooter sample project. And I just hacked our uh, lightning code, my, my Unity plugin in it. And it worked, and it was fun from the from the, the first playtest. It was really fun because it was so simple. It was okay. It's an online shooter. Everybody knows how to play, and it's easy to add cool uh, lightning elements into it, right? So yeah, this is how we came to Bitcoin Bounty Hunt. But the big why do we even make games is simply okay. Uh, there are so many no no corners out there. A lot of them are gamers and. If there would be a cool game which they would like to play, we could make so many Bitcoiners. Agreed. This is a yeah. This is one of the reasons why you know the my podcast is uh, there's a couple of things that that I see the edge of Bitcoin rubbing up against other you know legacy systems and gaming is one of them. There's there's a couple of other ones. You know, education, 
amazingly enough, regenerative agriculture actually rubs up pretty hardcore against Bitcoin. So those will be the next people that I start talking to. But, you know, gaming as far as an as an on ramp, I think we I think many of us agree that that's yeah. a real good way to go. So so that's kind of what started it. Can can you do, uh, can you describe the game Bitcoin Bounty Hunt to us a little bit? So the game is a simple first person online shooter. So you join a server, you select a weapon, and then you start running around and shooting other people. Uh, the Bitcoin part in it is that there are these cubes, or right now they are um, for Halloween, it's pumpkins, but uh, these are these Satoshi cubes or bounty cubes. You collect them and they increase your uh, bounty or loot. And you slowly collect and ramp up this loot until you die, until you get killed by another player, then you drop this, right? So mm -hmm. you, you run around loot and shoot, and then you kill other people for their loot, and your loot slowly converts to your earnings. So if I have uh, 100 sats on my bounty, every 10 seconds, uh, 10 sats go to my earnings. Or at the end of the round, all my bounty gets converted to earnings. So this is the main gameplay loop. And it's pretty simple, but it works really well because you have like multiple play styles. You can uh, focus on other players more or you can run around and loot more. And it's really simple, but it's it's a lot of fun. And um, yeah. Okay. Well, so there's some, there's some things about this that, you know, I, I'm assuming, you know, it's, it's, this is like a, you know, games are generated. I mean, it's multiplayer. So games are generated. Is, is this like a tournament kind of thing? Or is it can anybody just start, you know, start a game and then people join at any time? Or because, you know, we're kind of in this, you know, things like Mint Gox, where there's a tournament at, you know, on a certain day at a certain time. And then it's, you know, that's when you do it. How, how do you guys handle that? So right now, it simply works by us running a server, server and players can just join. Um, okay. We currently have one for EU and we will deploy this week another for uh, US. And right now it's simply join the game and play. And we're also on Mint Gox. So right now we have this qualification week going on. So if you play, you, you get enough kills, you, you can qualify for the Mint Gox tournament on Sunday. But I think there is... So there will be this mix of, okay, maybe there will be tournaments and maybe there's just this ongoing battle because uh, maybe, so listeners who, who do not know uh, the game, so the, man, the Satoshis who go, that go into cubes, they have to come from somewhere. So in our game, there's like this advertising system where people can um, sponsor images so that uh, Satoshis get in the game. And this is simply done via lightning payments. Yeah, that was kind of where I, I wanted to get into some of the some of the interesting mechanics. Now, I may get some of this some of this wrong. I am not set up. My computer is not set up with uh, a really good video card because uh, my video card is basically for digital content creation. And it has, you know, it's an older it's actually an older card. So I and I don't really have time to play video games right now, which sucks. I 
really want to play again, but you know, it's a, it's a time thing. So I haven't been able to really experience the game myself because it's just the frame rate just dies on me. You know, it's just horrible. Not, not because of your game it's because of my hardware. That's, that's clear. But, uh, so I've gotten some of these, some of these questions, like not from other people insofar as that they gave me the questions to ask you as much as these are questions that came about was, um, things like the, the, like the user generated ads that you're talking about here. It's, is it, is it like that I can just put up any image I want? Because that sounds like that would be fraught with difficulty. Is there like some kind of vetting process that you guys go? Yeah, that's not appropriate to put in our game. Or is it literally a free for all? No, it's not a free for all. I think we wouldn't be able to do this. So uh, you basically upload an image, pay an invoice, of 1k sats that's currently the price and then we get a discord a message where we can then uh, vet the image so all of us at donor lab we can vet the images because there were some i don't know we don't want to i mean we we want to encourage memes and advertising but uh yeah there, there should be a vetting process it's impossible yeah without. yeah i could imagine some of the people that i follow on some of the people that I follow on Twitter, whoa, <laughs> like, yeah, you're getting real close to me not following you because that's, you know, I, that doesn't need to be on my screen with my kids running around. So yeah, I, that's what I was. And I was asking this to a couple of other people that, that I'd interviewed and it seems to be the same. It's like, no, we got to actually look at the image before we put it up. And if we don't put it up, then you get your sats back, you know, that kind of thing. So how many, how many people are, are, how many people are actually in the vet process for that? Is it just like a handful or is it a lot? Or uh, I think we have around 100 or 200 images. So 200 approved images on our sponsors page. So yeah, you don't have an account or something, but you'd simply, you upload the image and then you can increase your balance because um, the way this is works, it's, it's hard to, it was hard to find a way. How can we basically pay out from these advertisers in a fair way, right? Because we don't want to do have things like an auction where maybe they don't get uh, they don't get shown, but they paid, and then we need to refund. So basically, you have a balance, and every round in the game, we just randomly take ten advertisers and display in the game, display them in the game, and then your balance um, removes based on how many players are playing. So. Um, uh, for example, I think we have 100 sats per player. So if a round has 10 players, we will uh, take 10 advertisers and everyone gets uh, removed by 100 sats. So this is a way where, okay, every image will be shown, but yeah, th- these are hard problems. And I think th- this is one of the cool things we did was, okay, we have a way to monetize advertising in-game with Lightning, right? It's it's not really complicated. Just upload the image and, and pay an invoice. Uh-huh. So, so when the, when the, uh, like, like you said, I like, it's going to cost me like, you know, uh, a kilosat or a 1000 sats. Uh, so I'll put up my image, uh, pay, pay the invoice, you guys approve it. And then it gets launched and it gets set into the game, uh, and 10 people play. So I'm re- my balance is reduced by a hundred sats. When it when that balance drops to zero, is that at the point at which that image will not go back into the game? You can increase your balance at any time, and and players can do that as well. So this is one of the, I don't know, if we ever want to have memes or something like that, uh, where players could could like 
show support to these memes, uh, this is where what we would do. So everybody can increase uh, the balance of any image. Okay. So there's a, you know, when we get into video games, there's, you know, particular style, you know, visual styles, colors, when you're allowing people to put in, uh, I, I know that, you know, we just went through the vetting process, but is there something that you have like to, that players can, uh, or, or people that want to advertise in the game, is there like something like a guidelines or a style sheet? Like, you know, really. use this font, use, okay. That's, that's it's cool. Just, but, you know, Oh, go it ahead. would be too hard to try to to think about. Okay, uh, we want to have I don't know a cyberpunk style, so every sh everything should be in in neon lights or something like this. I think this would be too hard and too restricting. So right now it's like it looks weird, but it looks cool because we it looks like uh, screens, old LCD or what is it called? I don't know old screens like with this <laughs> flickering effect. So yeah. it it works. But we don't have a, like a style guide or something. Okay, so uh, it was I was I was interviewing uh, Desiree Dickerson or Desiree Dickerson, and she mentioned something about user generated power ups in in y'all's game. Y'all have that, right? Not really. Or what 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 are user generated power ups? What would it? Well, mean? like l l this this actually now now that I'm I'm sorry now that I'm thinking about it, we were talking about another game. It was a a, a racing game from uh, I can't remember who. Ah, yeah, uh, the carding game from uh, Mandelduck. Yeah. So you know, like, do y'all is there anything like that where like people that are well, first of all, is there a spectator mode? Uh, for the games that people are not actually playing, but they can watch. Is that actually, is that a thing or is it just not on the radar? That's uh, that's a thing since uh, two days ago. We have oh. a spectator mode, but it's not really public yet. But uh, what viewers, for example, can do, uh, as I said, the earliest example was changing the weather by paying an invoice. So what our players can or viewers can do is increase the bounty of our players. So Imagine you're a streamer and you play the game and you would just show this LN URL, URL uh, QR code and then your uh, viewers could scan that and increase your bounty. So this would be two parts because one part, it would be a donation if the uh, uh -huh. streamer plays well, but also it's it makes the gameplay more interesting, right? Because the other players now have, oh, there's this big streamer. He gets like 1K sats every minute. So we hunt him down and... So it, it's like a payment, which is not only a donation, but also a gameplay affecting payment. And this is what uh, we will show off at the Mint Gox, probably uh, on, on Sunday. What, what it can show off is, okay, I'm in the spectator mode. I'm, I'm, I'm then trying to do like this uh, broadcast type of thing. And then the viewers could scan the LNURL QR codes of the players, and then they could increase the bounty and would make the game more, more engaging, more fun. So how does like, net, okay, that's the, the spectator and I can throw, you know, throw sats to a particular streamer as a player. How am I, how am I notified that there's a player that keeps getting sats? Is there some kind of status, a symbol above the head that I'm tracking or how, how does that yes. work? So as in a normal shooter, you would have like this scoreboard you can open and you would see the kills and the bounty and the earnings but uh, we also have the, like this in-game compass where you would see, okay, there's this big guy with a lot of uh, Satoshis on his head and you, it would it's also announced in chat so they would notice that. Okay, okay. So this, this kind of actually leads in really well to a question that I had about 
you know, one of the things that that I've noticed in in the Bitcoin ecosystem, and I'm you know kind of loath to say that, but just in Bitcoin in general, is that there's a there's a lot of gambling. There's lots of people yeah. that you know like to play poker. There's you know the, and if we just if we say call it for what it is, because mo- most people actually use the term degenerate or degeneracy. I'm wondering, <laughs> you know, the the fact that as a spectator that I can throw sats on a particular player. Um, and let's say that that player actually wins. Would is there a way to make that sort of like gambling where I could inc- like somehow or another, you know, when that player wins, I can somehow or another get my sat- satoshis back with like a little percentage on the increase, sort of like gambling on a player. Is that possible? Yeah. I mean, it would be possible, probably pretty easily, right? But. Uh... We thought about this a lot, but we're not too sure if we really want that because it's probably heavily regulated. In Germany, everything yeah. is heavily regulated, so we might want to stay away from that. But it may also be pretty cool. So we're, we're not too sure yet, but um, as of right now, we are hosting all these servers. So it might be that if we allow other people to host their own servers and to host their own advertisers and stuff like this, that they would be able to maybe have a betting system. But then we uh, wouldn't be in, in trouble because we wouldn't have anything to do with liquidity or with the um, result of the game. So maybe that would work. <laughs> so so the, um, the state of the game right now is kind of what I wanted to ask about. It, um, like if you were to give it like a from zero to 100% done or all the stuff that you want in, where, where are you guys finding yourself? Uh, maybe at 30, 30% <laughs> or something. So we, we, as I said, we had this technique, this, this online framework. It was a software as a service. And they basically said to us, okay, don't do gambling. We need to know every, uh, every possible way of how you use payments in your game so they because they were a uk company they didn't allow gaming and it would be hosted on their service but we ditched them and now we can host our own service and have user hosted servers so technically we're now at maybe 70 percent, 80 percent. but now there needs to just be new content because we're for example working on um team game modes we don't have them yet we're working on more weapons and then what i think is pretty cool would be um, to have a map or a way how we can let our users create their own maps because it takes so much time to create cool maps and mapping was a big part in in, in the early early days of shooters and I think we could maybe uh, make that a little bit cooler because right we have uh, these these payments right so we could you create a cool map every time it gets played a part of the of the of all the paid out sats goes to the map creator, which would incentivize modding pretty hard. Yeah. Oh God. Yes. And then, but that, I mean, wouldn't that also kind of work in a way for other content in the game, skins, uh, weaponry, that type of thing? Yeah. So, so how we imagine uh, it would work is we have these community servers and they curate what kind of uh, game modes they want to allow, what kinds of maps they want to allow. And then you could have this really cool uh, buzzwords, circular economy, right? Where you have these players paying to play on a server, but this server is then paying the modders of their maps. And yet you would could create this really cool uh, economy, right? 
Oh yeah. Oh the, yeah. The circular economy would be, especially inside the game. And you know, this actually get, probably gets into uh, some questions that I have a little bit later. So I'll hold off, but yeah, being able to generate that circular economy inside, inside the one game um, seems like it's going to be, Go, lend itself even more to Bitcoin adoption because it's like nobody's ever been able to really do this before. I mean, because generally speaking, you're always in a walled garden with the token that means nothing anywhere else in the world except inside that game. Yeah. So, um, let, hold on, where, where, was, where was? Oh, yeah, yeah. Map generation. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you about the as a as a game developer. It's not like, you know, we said, it's not just about the code that powers it. It's not just about the platform that it's, you know, being built on it. It, you know, it goes into stuff like skins, visual style, uh, map creation. So I wanted to ask you, like, what is it that you think of when you say a good map versus a bad map? Are there like any kind of hallmarks about that that you think of? I don't know. I think cool maps can be pretty bad. For example, uh, I really love Team Fortress 2 and there's this map called Two Fort, which is basically just two buildings uh, across each other. And it's really mindless fun, but it's pretty imbalanced and you play capture the flag and it most often it goes to a draw. So this would be a pretty cool map, which is pretty bad designed. But uh-huh. I don't know. Ours? So we're pretty noobish at this, I would say. So what we do is just, okay, we create a map. We, we now have two. And so far, our users like them. But I think the best idea is just to to take existing designs. I don't know. Dust2 is probably one of my all-time favorite maps. Yeah. Yeah. So like if, if, if you get into a situation where players are, you know, or not players, but, uh, you know, outside people are saying, you know, I, I can make a map for this. How would they go about doing that? I mean, is there like a GitHub where they can pull the, you know, the, the game down and put it into something that they can use as an editor, like their own, their own unity instance. I mean, how does, how would that work? Yeah, it would work. So we, we're not too sure how we want to do this yet. So nothing is final, but um, probably the best way or the easiest way would be to have a unity editor where we would have a sample project um on how to create a map and you would then the cool thing so all of our maps are just done with a prototyping tool in unity so we did not use any outside program like blender for example because unity has a pretty cool uh tool set now for creating these rough prototyping maps and our our uh, mappers could do the same so they would just need unity and our uh, um, project and then they could start creating maps so what, like, let's say that, that I've done this and, you know, I've, I've got a, a working map inside of unity. Would I, how would I get that to you guys? I don't know. Probably at some point we would want to have it automated, but you would probably hit, hit us up in discord and say, yo, I've got this cool map. Uh, do you want to try it? We would try it. And then we would put it into the map rotation. This is how yeah. it would probably work currently. But at a later right. stage, I would say. I don't know if if this community run game idea would work, then you would probably have like a Steam Workshop type of um, website where you could then upload the map and then server managers could maybe subscribe to these maps. 
Right. And then like take it for a run and then vet the map itself and say, yes, this will work or no, this has got way too many black holes in it. Cause that's the thing about, yeah. that's the thing about map creation is the black hole where, you know, a player gets stuck and it's just, it's at that point, it's just no fun, you know? And, and that, you might, you even lose money maybe if you go in this black hole, it's not about uh, internet points. You, you, you maybe lose money. <laughs> so yeah, you need that, to be careful. That, Yeah, that would be, that would be a really, you know, a, a really interesting thing. So, um, oh, good. Oh yeah. The thing about the unity platform is that you can export the game to multiple different platforms right now. What you only have one platform that you're exporting to, correct? Yes. So we had a earlier version, which also run on Mac, but the problem is we have this like, complicated setup where it's not just a game right it's also our uh, wallet our which is a fully fledged lightning node and we had some problems with uh, mac on this but we might we might look at it later to have a mac and linux support but yeah it's a little bit complicated as okay bitcoiners are rarely on windows right but gamers are mostly on windows so we 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 think Windows should be enough, but we get a lot of uh, requests asking for Mac support. But now you have this M1 processor. You don't know what's happening with that. So it's, yeah. it's complicated to say. Yeah, the and it always it always will be. Um, so what now, what is there anything else going on at Donner Lab game wise that is not the Bitcoin bounty hunt or is all of your energies focused on uh, BBH? I mean... Bitcoin Bounty Hunt are two parts, right? It's the game and it's also this wallet and and um, development SDK we're essentially building. So for those who don't know, the game features a fully non-custodial wallet, which is basically LND in Neutrino mode. And what we do is we do channel management for the users. So why did we do this? Uh, we're not our first game uh, worked with non with a custodial wallets like most do, like most gaming projects work with. But we thought, okay, maybe we can do this a bit cooler because non-custodial wallets, again, are pretty heavily regulated. You don't know what will happen in the future with uh, uh, custodial wallets. The, another cool part is the security aspect of it. So there's no central point of failure and we have instantly lightning native users. So our users who play the game Bitcoin Bounty Hunt can run a LNCLI list channels command, for example. So mm -hmm. the, the other big part besides Bitcoin Bounty Hunt is just developing this. Right. So before we leave Bitcoin Bounty Hunt and go into other things, if you could put in one feature right now into that game that you think can't you know is going to be really really hard or possibly can't even be done do you have a feature that you'd like to slip in that would be that kind of hard give me give me one second to think about sure. it That may be a bonus question. It has on to my be part. really hard, right? <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be hard as much as like if, if you were thinking of, you know, something that would be really slick to have, something that you would have always wanted, but you're not sure if you could do it, you know, what what would it be? And if if you could, you know, if you don't have anything, that's fine too. I just thought I'd, I, I was thinking about that and thought I'd ask you. Okay. There's nothing we think about that we can't do, 
because we try to be realistic. So, but uh -huh. what would be really cool would be a rocket launcher to say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so getting into to Bitcoin and Lightning Network outside of Donner Lab, but still in gaming. You know, what what's your what's your first feelings about you know Bitcoin in gaming? I mean, gut reaction, just first thing off the top of your head. Gut reaction, it's pretty dope. I think it's so cool what everybody's building. I mean, we're a tight community, the Bitcoin game devs, I would say. So we're like connected with this Mint Gox and the Zebedee guys, Thunder Games, Light Knight, Satoshi's games. It's it's really cool to be to be part of this big. Yeah, I would, it, I would say we are a team because we're all working on the same problem and we try to 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 tackle the big guys. So it's it's really cool to work there. Yeah, I just inter interviewed uh, Jack Everett from Thunder uh, a couple, actually a couple of days ago. And, you know, he gave me some names of some other people to talk to. And, everybody, you know, it all seems to not – it doesn't seem to revolve around Mint Gox. It's just that I, you know – Desiree, Desiree was the first person that I interviewed for this series. And uh, it just, you know, she was pretty much Mint Gox, but she was the one who was like, you need to talk to this guy and this guy and this guy. And it turns out all of y'all know each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, it's amazing. But I think that that's, that's really good because it is a really tight, you know, group of, of, you know, supremely focused people who are like, dude, we do, we do Bitcoin and gaming. This is what we do. And we're going to work out all these problems and we're all going to do it together. And there's no, you know, there's no real, you know, we want to be better than everybody. It's only, you know, it's sort of like the Bitcoiners in general are like, everybody wins when Bitcoin wins. And if Bitcoin and gaming wins, then all of you guys win. And that's an amazing group of people to, to you know, watch go forward, honestly. <laughs> yeah, because the cool thing, everybody does something a little bit differently. So we really, it's not this big, we're not a big team where we work on one one problem, but it's everybody does it a little bit differently. And I think every everything is really cool. And I mean, if there will be hyper Bitcoinization, which we all know it, there will be, we will all have probably the greatest. Uh, the, we will have the greatest connections and jobs in the gaming industry, right? So there's no I, no limit to what to what we're building. Yeah, uh, agreed. So is would it be kind of like? possible to think of mint gox as sort of a mount gox that all these gaming you know all these gaming folks come together and that's where the, that's where the games are like really showcased is would that be fair to say or unfair you think i think that would be fair to say i think we all should probably start to uh escape from this bitcoin and maybe this is the bitcoin bubble but uh, Mint Gox is pretty good for that. And I think Mint yeah. Gox is also starting to to attract non-Bitcoin users. So this is pretty cool. Yeah. And I could, you know, I could almost imagine that Mint Gox develops some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of exchange for, you know, game items, uh, which actually ends up going into another question that I had. But before I do that, I, I do want to touch on on your thoughts of you know again we're outside of donner labs out list and let's take it outside of mint gox let's go you know uh, set your sights on like you know normal game studios you know electronic arts uh you know the the like the big five that kind of thing what do you think about bitcoin internal economies 
to the gaming companies that are already here? Hmm, I think I think they have no incentive to use it, is, is what I would say, because they have Agreed. these unidirectional payments, so they receive money from their users, and I don't think they really care if they have to give a cut to whoever processes their payments. But I think there will be some form of first mover type of thing probably so i don't know who will it who it will be but imagine a game paying out uh, for esports tournaments in in bitcoin right as well, soon see, as people want to oh sorry no no con go ahead um i think as soon as people want to earn bitcoin and we're starting to get there right i think people want to have bitcoin they will want to game for bitcoin probably and I think the first company who will do this will get such a big attraction of, of players that all the others will have to do it as well. Right. Now, the only, you know, like you you echo a lot of sentiment from some of the other guests that I've had on the show about this is that there's no incentive for, you know, Electronic Arts or World of Warcraft or any of these any of these people to actually say, you know what, we're going to ditch or, or we're, or rather not ditch, but we're going to figure out a way to let people buy gold in our game or our whatever token of, you know, economic token they have with Bitcoin. There's just, I mean, honestly, I, even I don't see it and it gets a little worse because then you get into the, well, you start wading into regulatory stuff. Uh, like, you know, are you a, are you handling people's money? And in a real way, yeah. Yeah, you are. And, you know, I think that that actually may be a gate, you know, a gate that kind of can't open for the for the larger game companies and then enter the smaller new game companies that are focused solely on using Bitcoin, Lightning Network and that type of thing inside of their game. And I wonder if it's possible that we may actually see this as a demise of like the, the top 10 gaming companies and they just become supplanted because they never figure out a way or they're never interested enough to try to make that switch. What do you think about that? That's an interesting take. Um, but I think the problem is that game creating games is so hard and they perfected it to, to a, to a marketing genius. These big behemoth behemoths, they just know how to create games that people want. So I think it's hard to recreate that. But I think there will be this, a couple of breakthrough games who might use Bitcoin in a real cool way. But I, I think they, they will move. I think they will have to move at some point. Yeah. You know, it's just, I just think it would be interesting if they just found, it, it found the regulatory landscape so onerous that they're just like, we, we can't. We just can't. We're stuck because of our size, our shareholders, and they end up just kind of rotting from within but you know there's exactly. always there's always hope that what you know one of the you know not none of them are really small i mean let's let's get real these are like you know hundreds hundreds of millions of dollars of company you know at the at the you know at bottom of the top 20 so but um oh where good lord where was i oh oh okay so internal economies and getting back to like sort of the the Bitcoin gamers uh, and and game studios like like Donner, um, what do you think about NFTs in general, the non fungible token as it you know pertains to 
you know, a skin or a weapon or something else that would be in the game. What do you think about that? Is that just something you just meh or are you kind of excited about it? I'm more meh currently. I think they're, they are interesting, but uh-huh. they are also pre, I, I don't know. They, are they securities or not? They're so uh, complicated in, in how they work that I'm not too sure. I, I I like liquid assets. I would love RGB tokens. I would really like to to use them at some point. But right now, it's I don't really see the the benefits. I I don't I don't see it. This um, oh these you now own the head of the game and the developer can't do anything about it. But that's not true, right? So it's I mean. It's the game you trust anyway. And if we don't have decentralized games, which we probably, I don't know if we will ever get them or if we even need them because centralized games are probably better. But right. so I, I'm, I'm still mad about it. But what I really like is if you use them, you have an, like an easy, easy way to, to, to get money out of a game, right? Right. This is what I really like. So, for example, if we go to Diablo 2, if those were easily tradable assets, which I think, I mean, I think I paid for some items with real money, but I think if you enable a marketplace for game assets, that it's that that is pretty cool. But if it's done with this expensive, I don't know, liquid tokens, I'm not too sure how 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 usable that will be in the future. Yeah, and that kind of comes back to what I, you know, some of the things that I wonder about Mint Gox is not only a collection of, you know, where somehow or another it ends up being sort of a central meeting place for where, you know, these Bitcoin games are done, but end up being the de facto marketplace for NFTs at the exact same time. It seems like that would, it seems like that would make sense. Even, even if we are meh about NFTs, I get the feeling that they're just going to end up happening. I, it's just a gut yeah, reaction from me. But I think, um, go ahead. I think users also want it. Probably is is what I would say. I mean, we we get asked sometimes if if our skins are NFTs, and we say no, we don't see really a reason to to do that. But I think there's some demand for that. But I don't know. Probably yeah. it's it's like a very specific user type who has demand for this, not the general gaming audience. Right. And, and which bring, you know, kind of, you know, kind of want to point out something about, you know, porting in and out of games with NFTs. One of the things that I wonder about is, you know, games, uh, not only are their economies kind of walled gardens, but the experience of a video game. And, and I always go back to uh, Bioshock. Have you ever played that? Yep, I've played that. Okay. So, if you if you're just in the game and you're just looking around, there is a visual style that is unmistakable. It's yeah. steampunk. It is Art Deco. It's also um, Art Nouveau. It has a certain color scheme. So when I think about like going, oh well, I'll trade this NFT to another game because there has been talk about porting NFTs into you know from one game into another. What are your thoughts about that? really screwing up visual style because to me if you just port the thing in with its you know with its polygon set and its texture set there's at automatically it's not a, a it's not just a you know an well it's not a foregone conclusion that it would even work in the game because there may be some different you know different things going on but if it did 
you know, how would that, dis- in your mind, how does that disrupt visual styles from game to game? I mean, I don't know. A, a, a model is so much more than just its polygons, right? You have these shaders and, and like how mm-hmm. the lighting affects it. So it's yep. pretty hard to say. I, I, I agree that it probably doesn't work. You, w- you wouldn't be able to, to import, uh, I don't know, a sword in any game to Bioshock, for example. That wouldn't work. Right. So it, there would be a lot of uh, work by the developer to, to implement every asset in a way that it would look nice. Yeah, and, and I, I think about this a lot because there's a lot of people who are, oh, well, we can just, you know, you can get my, you know, I'll sell my NFT on the marketplace and then you can get it into, you know, into whatever game. And I'm like, I don't think it's going to be that easy. I think it's, I think that's probably, if some, if some, like at that point, you would have to do, you would have to do X. You'd have to have some kind of plugin in your game where if an NFT got imported, it would have to be able to read you know, what its shader language is, all of its polygons, any code that is, you know, is uh, attached to that particular item and then revamp it if it's so out of whack, like in, like it's coming into Unity and it wants to be, you know, we want it in C sharp and it's coming in in some weird language, you'd have to have some kind of converter. And I'm thinking at this point that we are years away from anything that even remotely looks like something that would work. I mean, am I, or am I just crazy here? No, I, I see what you mean, but I think what you could do, for example, is you have this big game where a lot of people have, um, I don't know, big valuable assets, and you could have those assets in your game, but they look different, right? So they are tailored to your game, but you can kickstart an economy, but probably also ruin it by um, having assets from other games also be in your game as a different look, for example. Right. Okay. So one of the other things that I'm, I'm always interested in is, and the reason I'm interested in it is that I had to fight through some of the crappiest educational games and on the history in the history of mankind, you know, and educational gaming simply being like, Hey, we're going to teach you how to learn math, but you're going to do it on a computer and it's going to be fun. And it's not generally speaking, most games that are used in education for, you know, for children are just, they're terrible. And I don't know why, but the, I have seen very few games that actually, you know, that actually work where a kid is really interested in continuously, you know, continually playing it or say, you know, hey, I, I want to go play that, you know, that thing again. So when <laughs> I, you know, when we talk about gaming and education in general, what, you know, what do you think about it? I don't know. I think the best educational game probably of, of this generation would probably be Minecraft. And it's not intended to be educational but it just forces you to to use logic and and to think outside the box and to be creative so i think that's pretty cool but i don't know if if educationally tailored games will ever be a thing i i mean for me games were pretty big in education because i essentially learned all my english from it because i don't know if you pirated games they were in english most of the time so i needed to learn english and i think yeah. games are educational not by, I don't know, not by design, but they just are educational because you need to be quick, a quick thinker. You need to be creative. You need to sometimes work for earning something. So I think games are pretty cool for education. Yeah. And I've thought a a lot about that. There are people that they can get, like, let's say it's a, 
I don't know, an MMORPG or something like that, where there's thousands of people online and it's a persistent universe and you're constantly working on your, your character to get more skill. And, and then all of a sudden you end up going, okay, well, I've got these skills. And then if I add this particular set of armor and, you know, and this particular sword, then I get this synergistic thing. And, and essentially all you're doing is, you know, adding and subtracting all these different attributes that's going on in your mind. And you don't even know that you're, you're doing it. And some people are really good at it and some people suck at it. So, yeah, I mean, even in, in general, you know, in, in general games, the way that they're built now do kind of serve that purpose. But, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of interested in is, yeah, how, how is it, you know, how could we get it to where that is present in the mind of a student or, um, you know, an instructor or a teacher so that you know what you're learning. Uh, I don't know. This is, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard issue when we're talking about games that are weren't specifically designed for education, but just seem to be that way. I don't know. I mean, I guess at that point we could add something like, would it be appropriate for uh, a game to allow kids to learn something and then get paid like via lightning network or is, you know, do you think that would be unethical or what do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, they provide a value, right. By learning so that they become a, uh, a productive part of the economy. Right. So they provide some value by learning. So we could maybe give them some sets. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think it, it might make sense, but it could also be pretty weird. But I mean, I would like if I would be a student, I would like to get paid for learning probably. But if, for example, I don't know, arts and crafts pays, pays me more than maths, that would skew it a little bit probably. Yeah, most, yeah, most definitely it would. But, you know, I've just, you know, it's one of those things that, that I get interested in. But I mean, if you had, if you had your way and you had like, you know, a, a gaming studio and somebody said, Hey, I want, I, I really need y'all to do a custom job for me. And, you know, can you make me a, a an educational game? Would you have any like guidelines that you would want to follow for yourself? If you were asked to make an educational game, like, you know, I know that's a difficult question generally. But I mean, it would depend on the topic or, or what what is my goal? What should the, the kids learn? If they sh- should learn logic, then I would probably build something like, I don't know how they call it, like these cool uh, space cam or something it's called, but you build these pretty complicated logic gates and it's pretty fun. Uh-huh. But then I think if you would need to, I don't know, if it would be for a foreign language class, it would probably be cool to have a social game like uh, Among Us, for example. So I think you can really, depending on the topic you want to to teach, you can do really cool game design, game design stuff. Yeah, my kids are addicted to Among Us, and that thing is that thing is like two years old. <laughs> okay, then I have a question for you: If you could yeah. monetize anything with Lightning payments in Among Us, what would you do? <sighs> I don't know. I, I mean, I, the, the, my gut reaction is I would literally, I would, uh, automatically go for, uh, every kill that you make as the imposter, 
you'd rack up some Satoshis. And that's okay. horrible that I, that's horrible that I go for that one, but that seems to be the thing that kids are most interested in is being assigned. Oh, you're the imposter. And then they're like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Because there's actually a cool open source among us clone on GitHub. Really? And we were thinking uh, how or where we could add lightning payments, which might be fun. So our idea was to um, have voting where you vote with SATs, but the one who, who flies gets all these SATs. So you wouldn't vote for your enemy, but you would maybe try to get voted yourself. So this also skews it, but I don't know. I think there are cool, cool stuff you could do with that. Well, there's, I mean, there's the, the landscape is wide open here. I mean, we, at this point it's, can you imagine it? And if you can, then it's possible to do this. And, and we've not really been able to use external incentives inside of a game. Not, not like this, not like Satoshi's, you know, not, not in payment schemes. Like if, if Visa had figured out a way to make it where you could send somebody half of a penny, you know, and, and not eat up in, you know, four, percent you know, user fees, then it would have already been done. But this is the first time we've been able to do this. And, and it I works. just, yeah, and it works and it works so well. And, you know, I just, I keep thinking of, of how like, you know, game developers are going to be like, oh, what can we do? You know, actually the question is what can't we do? Because there's so much yeah. that can be done here. Oh, and yeah. I for I did forget to ask you. Uh, let's go, and I, I kind of want to go back uh, to Bitcoin Bounty Hunt and just ask you: Why did y'all choose Unity for the game engine? Uh, just because we, I was more comfortable in it because I already worked on Unity for two years up until this point. Okay, because like almost, I think everybody that I've talked to, all their games are based on Unity, and that's becoming it's, it's just more simple. That's, yeah, that's it, it. There's a lot of resources for it. And C Sharp is a little bit easier to work with than C++, which is used in Unreal Engine. So I think this is the most. Reasonable. Yeah, I, I just, I've, I've always kind of just, I fell in love with, with the Unity platform when I first saw it. Even though I'm not somebody who can sit there and program a video game, I, I was enough into it going, Oh, so this is how all this stuff in video games work. And, you know, like collisions, you know, the code that, you know, has to be attached to certain items that if they're going to do certain things and the way that the code talks to each other inside the game, it, I mean, it was, it's a hell, I mean, from a, uh, uh, if I were to talk about educational gaming, if you wanted to learn how to make video games as a kid, you know, unity is good Lord. That <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. And I think I think this is what we should incentivize to do more. Maybe this modding, maybe this, I think this is what Unity has a collaboration with uh, Lego. And this uh -huh. is pretty cool because they have this like easy way to create and modify a game. And then these, these kids can learn how to program and how to modify games, how to add sounds, how to add art. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm going to be looking at that for, you know, for my son and, and my daughter's not interested. She likes like stuff like Among Us. But he's kind of like, you know, walking around at eight years old, you know, 
kind of wanting to be a hacker and he's in love with video <laughs> games. And I'm like, yeah, I need to sit him in for, you know, somehow sit him in front of an interface, like the Lego thing that you were talking about and, and let him, let him rock on from there. But, uh, we are coming to the end of our hour. So I wanted to make absolutely certain that people f- are, are able to find you, your game. This is basically the shill fest part of the interview. So how do, how do people <laughs> contact you? So the easiest way to contact us is via Twitter, which would be at DonnerLab1. We needed that one there. And then you will find probably a lot of links to our game. And we're active on Discord, which is the best way to reach us in a more public way, probably. Or if you want to try the game, we have an active community there. And yeah, if you want to uh, have sponsors, uh, your your memes or your ad images in the game, just go to BitcoinBountyHunt.com. And you will find the sponsors page there. You can also increase the bounty of our players there. So yeah, that's basically it. Okay. Oh, sometimes well, I stream on Twitch, on Donner on Twitch TV slash Donner Lab. It's also fun. Okay. Are the, so all those links are on the the Donner Lab website. Uh, not re- yeah, maybe our Donner Lab website is not really uh, updated a lot. So the best way uh, is to to go to BitcoinBountyHunt.com. There you will find okay. the Twitter link and the Discord link. Okay, awesome. Well, Con, I appreciate you spending all your time with me today, or not all of it, but a good chunk of your time. I, I know it's valuable, uh, so I'll go ahead and let you go. But uh, thanks for uh, talking about Bitcoin Bounty Hunt and letting us know what was going on with that. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was fun talking to you. Absolutely. And anytime that you need to announce something, you can always hit me up. My DMs are open and we'll get you back on the show. Great. All right, man. See you later. Bye. I'm always blown away by how gracious these people in this space are with their time. You know, that's time that that Constantine's, you know, spent with us that he's never going to get back. Yeah, I know he's talking about Donner Lab and, and, you know, he was able to to get, you know, more of his message out as to, uh, you know, what Donner Lab is and Bitcoin Bounty Hunt and some of the, you know, internal things that go on there. But still, you know, they got they got things that (laughs) they got things that um, they got to do. And when they. You know, when these people give over their time so that they can sit down and talk with a pleb like me, it always, you know, always makes me think that I'm in the right space. I'm not in the wrong place. Um, I saw saw a thread earlier today talking about, what was it? Um, Oh, this guy from Cuba uh, was saying that he worked his whole life. He came from like, you know, threadbare surroundings or whatever in Cuba and worked desperately to quote unquote, get out and be part of the elite. And, you know, he, he finally made it, I guess, in the United States, uh, and realized that he was, in his words, not mine, said that he realized that he was around obfuscation, uh, uh, passive aggressive behavior, and basically a bunch of LARPers that were not creative, that were not brilliant, that were just meh people. And that he missed his father being the brilliant man that he was because he was always had his, his, his eye towards quote unquote making it and didn't see his father do the things that he did that kept his family alive, kept them close and kept them happy in Cuba. And he's, he's regretting that 
you're talking about a man who's made it to the elite who regrets the fact that he now is with a bunch of LARPers that are passive aggressive and basically obfuscate everything in their path. You know, I, the world is turning, you know, there, uh, things are happening all over the world and it's not just Bitcoin. The, this person has nothing to do with Bitcoin as far as I know. I mean, he may, but as far as I know, the man has absolutely no idea what's going on with Bitcoin. And yet, here we are with all these people that keep realizing that we've been doing it wrong for years and years and years. Guarantee you Bitcoin fixes this. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.